Well, it's a privilege to be back again and to speak to you. Uh, and uh, as I said, this evening we're going to speak about this, this whole concept of God's salvation. The title is God Saves. And you'll hear references from Packer here and Lorraine Bettner, John Calvin and others, because I don't have too many original thoughts of my own. But uh, so you may pick up uh, those ideas as we go through. God saves. This is the beautiful gospel message. This is the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is what we refer to as the grace of of God. This really is what Christianity is all about. As we think about what salvation in Christ alone is, let's just take a step back and try and look at the big picture for a moment or two this evening. And so the first thing I think we need to realize is that God has a plan. God has a plan. We, we read it in Isaiah. Isaiah put it like this. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times what is still to come. We discover in many, many scriptures that the Lord knows all. The Lord knows what he will do. The Lord knows who are his from ancient times. I'm retired now, but uh, some years ago, I used to work on what they used to call mega projects. Projects that are constructed all over the world. And the first task of the project managers in such a project is to put in place a plan, or in American speak, the schedule. Without a good plan, nothing happens and we get chaos. Now, in this plan and mega projects, we have human limitations and we may need to adjust the plan. Uh, that's the original plan for problems or unforeseen circumstances as we move along. And that's just what happens on projects. With God, we have to say this. The triune plan is immense. It covers all contingencies. This plan of God includes every circumstance for the whole of human history. Just let us consider uh, a few amazing milestones in this plan. We see this. 
our universe, brought into being at a specific point in time from nothing. The stars and the planets all set in their places. The earth, the beautiful growing things, the animals, the fish, the birds. Then man is placed in the garden to enjoy it all. The fall of man was also allowed in this plan. And so we see wonderfully, graciously, the gospel promise. It comes to Adam and Eve. And from Adam and Eve, these prophetic promises or covenants are confirmed to the nation Israel through the kings, the prophets, right to that birth at Bethlehem. And so we see at the center of this plan our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross where the justice of God is fully satisfied. With regard to every Old Testament believer, every New Testament believer, all our personal sin, past and present and future, all of this dealt with at the cross in every detail. The resurrection is in the plan. The ascension is in the plan. And the still to come, new heaven and new earth. The plan's not fully completed yet. But it will be in the perfect timing of God. When Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone, It is also for those who will believe. Well, that includes us in the plan. And we should uh, pause and think about God's plan for me during a busy day. When you're at the office, when you're in the home, when you're at school. You see... It's a perfect plan from a perfect God. It's hard to grasp this, but every event in history falls into its exact place. And that's a good event or a bad event. None of these outside of God's purpose. It's hard to just take it all in sometimes. In this plan, even the the sinful acts of men are allowed and included. In this plan, God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. And this plan included the worst crime in all of human history. And you know what that was. 
That was the cross. And we see even in that wickedness which was allowed in the plan was for our good. The greatest crime in all of human history was for our good. And yet we are to remember God hates sin. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Some think that God is like us, always modifying his plan due to an unexpected problem. Let's just say, for example, that the fall of Adam was unexpected. Now, I don't think that is the case. At Stramillis, a, a few weeks ago, we are going through the book of Revelation, and uh, uh, we heard about the letter to the church at Sardis, and in that letter, we find out about there's a book of life. And the illustration given about this book is not this idea that here's a book and they're adding names every day and uh, some days they're deleting names. Uh, it's not about names being rubbed out, you see. It's about these names never being removed from this book. That's in Revelation 3. So, Adam's rebellion was already known by God before it ever occurred. So, we're, we've been taking a step back and trying to imagine uh, the big picture. And we saw there for a few moments, there's a plan. God has a plan. And... Uh, as we think about this big picture again, we think about the greatness and the sovereignty of God. We go to Psalm 2 to be reminded about this. In verse 1, it goes like this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord. Now I think that uh, we would all acknowledge that there are many events in our own lives that have been outside our control. Our births, for example, were way outside our control. And the time of our death may be a big surprise. And as Christians, we often talk about God being sovereign, but our grasp of this, especially in times of difficulty, may be lacking. Sometimes we think in terms of things going wrong in our lives. We think, we think in terms of accidents, or we think of bad luck even, that would be said. But the UK Safety Council will explain that there is no such thing as an accident. An accident, by their definition, is a series 
of actions or occurrences. The Trinity is the absolute owner and ruler of this world. Is it possible to hinder God in his purposes? So, in Psalm 2, we hear about those who try. But again, in Psalm 2, in verse 4, there's a very solemn reminder that he who sits in the heavens laughs. In the middle of a world of disaster and disasters, God is consistent in his undisturbed majesty, in his providential rule of the nations and in each of our lives. And so we know that it was Jesus the Son who created the cosmos. Jesus the Son even as he came to us in weakness, as it were, yet at the same time held the galaxies in their place. Jesus, the Son today, holds the universe in its proper place. Colossians 1. God's not, as it were, struggling along with us every day, doing the best that he can with us. His decrees are being fulfilled in spite of our feelings. We're in Stranmillis, we do a lot of student work, as you probably know, and on Tuesdays we, we have student lunch, and there we're were showing a whole set of videos and one of the sets of videos is Tim Keller and he said a very important thing as we showed this to a number of the students. Tim Keller says that God hates sin. But why does he hate the sin? Because it harms his design for his people. God does not want his people harmed. That's why he hates sin. This fallenness in our world must not influence us because we're, we're bombarded every evening, aren't we, by the media. We're bombarded uh, with influences uh, to say, forget about the word of God when it speaks about the sovereignty of God. The thoughtful see sin abounding in every corner of our earth. But we, as believers, we must take care not to allow the behavior of that culture around us to overwhelm us with despair. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons, but we know a day is coming. We know a day is coming when every knee shall bow and that there will be a day of judgment. Now that 
is wonderful to know that there'll be a day of judgment. Because whilst we may have so little influence in righting the wrongs around us, we can take comfort knowing that in this plan, God will deal with every wickedness. We know that God can do no wrong. We know that he's sovereign. Theologians also speak about the providence of God. And the Westminster Confession says this. God, the great creator of all things, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest to the least by his most wise and holy providence. Section 5, just part 1, the first sentence of uh, that first section. Well, did you know this? That a, a single human cell contains something like three billion parts of information. A single human cell. And I think you can get something like ten cells on a pinhead. And there are about over two trillion cells in the human body. Just put those numbers together in your mind for a moment. Darwin thought that the cell was just your simple, basic blob of gel. But a hundred years later, science is discovering what God had already told the Hebrews thousands of years ago. He says, we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made in Psalm 139. So, God's providences, they're so powerful that they reach right into these cells where his design for man is established. And at the same time, this providence reaches out into every part of our immense cosmos where he has set every star in place. On the one hand, so we see God, the creator, the transcendent one, the one who is far above his creation. And yet, on the other hand, we see God imminent, that is, intimately involved in his creation. And so we're able to understand that when Jesus told us that when two or three gather in his name, he is with us. Think about Christ's personal, intimate love for you. From before the creation of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, he comes down from the glories of heaven. And in every way also becomes a real man. Without sin, of course. For you. For me. For all who believe 
in him. So what I'm coming to is this. We're here this evening, each with our own thoughts and wills. Yet we are never outside the purposes of God's providences and plans. God is never excluded from us in any way or in any circumstance. And that includes our free will. He knows every hair on our head. Well, maybe some of us don't have too many hairs on our heads, but he knows every hair on our head. To some, he gives riches. To others, they have to endure poverty. To some, he asks you to struggle with illness. To others, he allows you to enjoy good health. Now, these things are easy to talk about until difficulties impact our preferred way of living. These will be times when we will cry out, Lord, increase our faith. You see, it was not simply the wickedness of Joseph's brothers that sent him into Egypt. God's providence was in it all for good. Well, perhaps we could just uh, go back to this idea of working on mega projects for a moment. And I have to say, when I first went into the oil and gas industry, I had to sit at planning and scheduling meetings which were being drawn up for projects. And the buzzwords were everywhere. <laughs> Frankly, I have to say, I was confused. And there were times I could make no sense of this plan. But after a while, I began to ask questions. Then I learned a little more. Uh, things be gra uh, gradually uh, fell into place. And eventually again, I gained some insights about the plan. And in time, I could see how I fitted into that plan. But the thing is this, I was not sitting on the executive board where the big decisions were being made. My role was downstream as an electrical engineer fighting the trench battles and I would often lose sight of the big picture. And I think it's a little like that for us in the kingdom as we learn scripture bit by bit we eventually start piecing it together we eventually see that God has a big plan he has told us about it in his word and within the plan there are specific tasks which we know we have to get on with such things as going in to all the world. But all the while, his providences, his grace, surround us 
so that the project, God's project, will be a total success on that great day. So, we're to sow the seed. We're to get out there. We're to sow the seed. He will bring in the harvest. I thought I'd better just add a few thoughts for us on predestination and man's free will. Calvin says of predestination that it's a dangerous subject. He says unless it's carefully developed, there will be misunderstanding. He reminds us in this subject that we're dealing with the inmost recesses of divine wisdom. But with all that in mind, Calvin says this, we have the word of God. And we must not be ignorant or ashamed to keep what God has revealed. Our confession says that from all eternity, God, by the most wise and holy purpose of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordained whatever comes to pass. That's section three. I think the idea of predestination is a lovely thing. It's to do with the saving of a great crowd of people that cannot be counted. It's to show us the love and mercy of God in a very personal way. It's to do with you and me. Those who lost their relationship with God and have now been brought into the kingdom of God. It's to do with the salvation of those who are guilty and corrupt. It's to do with those who are still being drawn by the Father to our Lord and Saviour, through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's a lovely thing. You know, if you go to companies today, you'll find uh, companies have mission statements. I don't know if you belong to a company like that, but I want to say this, that predestination is the mission statement of Scripture. It's the mission statement of the plan. It's about a God of love who shows mercy in spite of our hardness of heart. Predestination is all about grace, and it's about being given new hearts. And I think that the understanding, the more we understand predestination, this will help us somewhat towards humility. It will explain that when two people hear the same gospel message, one believes, the other does not. It shows us that salvation is not of ourselves. Otherwise, 
we would have something to boast about. But we also must hear this. Predestination is the work of God. It's not for us to work out. It's not man's work. It's God's good pleasure. And that, I think, will be a relief to us all. We are to be faithful in commuting, communicating God's uh, word in love. That's where we are. We're to communicate God's word in love. We're not responsible for its effectiveness. That's the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who sovereignly brings new birth to the dead. It is the Lord Spirit who makes us new creatures in Christ. It may be difficult for our ears, especially when we first hear words like this. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And this was even before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad. Romans 13. And so we may well be thinking to ourselves, what about free will? Well, this marvelous God we have, who ordained all events, also ordained human liberty. With free will, person's acts must be without compulsion. Free will must be with our own desires or, and inclinations or we could not be held responsible. God does not make us do evil or force us to do good. And it might be difficult to consider these two apparently different ideas that may be difficult to hold them, as it were, in balance all the time. But it also seems to me that we should not deny either free will or predestination, but rather work out if there is a biblical logic for both. The plan of salvation is working in millions of free-willed people all over the world in many, many diverse ways. But are we able to say that the general case for free will is absolute, without limits? Or is it correct to say that Free will has certain limitations, just uh, 
for the moment. I have to tell you, and uh, your pastor knows this, I love cycling. I love getting on the bicycle. And that's what I do. So when I want, I go cycling. And it's wonderful. Well, yes and no. There are family affairs. There might be illness. There could be inclement weather. Perhaps the brakes on the bike have gone faulty. So along with this freedom of delight on the bike, I acknowledge other principles of limitation curtailing this freedom. Cycling may be subject to certain limiting factors, but in Christianity, once God has applied his supernatural work of regeneration in us, this is when we come freely. We experience that true freedom to love God, to follow Jesus Christ. And so the scripture says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. John chapter 8. So what makes the difference then between two people, both of them sitting in the congregation, both of them hearing the gospel, one <clears throat> his own way, one comes to God. What makes the difference? It's God, of course, isn't it? It's God who makes the difference. Would we object to that? Well, if we do, we would make salvation our business and not God's business. Left to our own worldly or our own worldly free will, our own culture, we would go on with our natural inclination of rebellion against Christ. So left to our worldly free will, we would just carry on with our natural inclination of rebellion against God. But because of the new birth, somehow we are freed to seek and find and believe the word of God about Jesus. And so as we sit here this evening, um, as we think about the word of God, and as we ponder this awesome thought that God may indeed pass a person by to be condemned eternally. As we think about that, does that cause some fear? Or does this means of grace touch our hearts as we realize that God is truly sovereign and how marvelous is his grace to me in spite of me.
So what's the gospel? It is the good news that Jesus saves sinners. Jesus says to all of us, Come, all you who are heavy laden, come the worst of sinners. Come, all you who don't even realize how bad your sin is. Come to Jesus. He will save you from your sin. He will make you white as snow. With him, you'll have a, a righteousness which you didn't deserve, imputed to you. With him, you will be saved completely. When you came to Christ, it was your decision. It really was. That was your experience at the time. But we know we came because of the grace of God. It's the Spirit's indwelling. It's the Father's drawing and calling. It is what Jesus accomplished for us a long time ago. And in Jesus we are eternally safe. Those were just some thoughts from our, our passage tonight. Um, thank you for your patience and your listening. May God give us hearts to understand and enable us to bring glory to God our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We turn to our